When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick Cavins. He's Greg. I'm Nick. It's the uh, Greg Bedard Patriots podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston and claim your $200 bonus. Greg, we're going to get into some of the draft stuff, but let's first start with sounds like a broken freaking record. Mac Jones drama. Uh, Mike Lombardi comes out and he shoots down the Mac being shopped story. That was a thing last week. Uh, it really came down to semantics from Lombardi, but what did you think of what he said, and, and do you tend to agree with what he said? Yeah, I think I think Mike's pretty accurate on all things Patriots. He knows the way Belichick works. I mean, they worked alongside each other not only in Cleveland but New England, so he knows exactly how he does things. And, um, you know, I thought he made a, good, a lot of really good points uh, on his podcast, the GM Shuffle, Um which I think that you know every football fan should listen to. I I learn a lot from. Him. I think Mike's really good. Some people don't like him, but you know, and but I think he's I think he's pretty accurate on uh, Patriots related stuff. And plus, he had his one of his sons, Mick, worked for the Patriots. Now he works for the Raiders. Both sons work for the Raiders now, and Josh McDaniels. So you know that there's a lot of insight to the way things are done in New England. And I, I think you know I, I think. Mike is right. Uh, Mike Lombardi, not, and I'm not going to say Florio was wrong. Um, obviously, somebody told him that information, but I do think the word "shopped" is semantics. I mean, do I think that Mac Jones was discussed? Yeah. Um, do I think maybe some teams brought him up? Um, I know the Raiders didn't, um, but d- did it come up in the course of conversations? Yeah, sure. I think there's a there's a very select few guys in the league maybe on one hand maybe on two hands that there's no discussions about um you know remember there was a report and i don't know if it was lombardi but there was a report that at the time of the uh probably about i don't know six months before the jimmy garoppolo trade there was a report that uh belichick brought up tom uh, tom brady to the 49ers and they kind of i actually i think john lynch like told this story that he like laughed, like they didn't think he Belichick was being serious um, when he probably was a little bit, but wanted to see what he could get. And so, if if Bill Belichick can discuss Tom Brady, then he can discuss Mac Jones, who hasn't proven yet. I mean, I I like Mac. I think he he has a chance to be a franchise quarterback. I think, um, you know, but obviously, what happened last year 
is a negative in a lot of people's eyes, but it doesn't change the fact as far as the prospect, the player itself, for me, that, uh, you know, I, I think he has a chance. And so, but it's not definitive, no way. So nobody is off limits. And so that Mac Jones was discussed, um, as I've either written about or talked about, like, you know, it's it's not a surprise, and it's during a dead time, like between free agency, between the draft, when everybody who has a website that makes its living on clicks and advertisements, like certain websites, you know, if they get a little morsel of something, sort of like Felger and Maz. I mean, they run with, with crap all the time, and they admit it just for content's sake. I think this was a content thing. Conversations happen, and Mac Jones, as you said, is not untouchable. And I would not be surprised if conversations happened about him early in the offseason. And if you are Bill Belichick, frankly, you are not doing your job if you're not having those conversations at some level. Was it Bill calling teams desperately trying to get rid of Mac Jones? No. And I think that's where people, when you buy into the shopping term, I think that's the difference. Shopping really kind of signals desperation. If you're shopping somebody... You're trying to get rid of him, man. Like, hey, look, this is what I got. You know, be- best offer. I'll take best offer. Th- that's not what was happening. Were there conversations? Yes, because if you can get a f- first-round pick for Mac Jones, y- you would do it, I would imagine, if you're Belichick. If you could get a, a second-round pick and a player for Mac Jones, you might even think about it if you like one of the quarterbacks in the draft this year. So, yeah, those talks happen, but shopping shopping is strong. Shopping means that you're trying to get rid of that dude. That, uh, yeah, that, that dude's that that dude's on the way out. That it's that it's over and it's over in the coach's eyes. And I just don't think that's the case at all. Yep, well, all hope is lost. Shopping is DeAndre Hopkins right now. When mm-hmm. when the Cardinals say, "Hey, man, go talk to other teams," and they're they're desperate to get rid of him because his market is is really non-existent. That's shopping a guy when you know you've got to get rid of him. Back against the wall, you got to make a move. Uh, more on Mac Jones here. Our buddy Burt, Burt Breer, says that Jones lost support in the building. Have you heard the same thing? Well, it depends on who you talk to. And everybody knows I love Burt. He, he's he's my guy. He's one of my close friends in this business. Um, I just personally, I think he's listening to the wrong people in the building on this. I think, I think these are people, um, and you can sort of imagine who they might be, people with extra grind. Um, after last season and with Mac Jones. And, you know, I just think he's wrong. I mean, like he also put, um, just to give you an example, he also put in his column at SI.com, he said, he said, fourth round pick Bailey Zappi shined when Jones got hurt. And the incumbent staff felt like a big reason for that, in addition to an offensive plan adjusted to fit him, was that Zappi was following the coaching. The staff did try some concepts built to get Zappy playing fast by eating up easy yardage and used those same concepts for Jones. The result was that the coaching staff came out of the year feeling the difference between the two quarterbacks wasn't massive. Okay, so everybody knows that um, I watched the film pretty closely, and people that have been listening to this podcast, especially last season, when I would say that um, we were highly accurate from the offseason through the end of the season on what was going on with this offense. That is what what they said about the scheme and about the plays and how they did it for Zappi, and they also did it for Jones. It's false. It is factually false. And we said it. This is in hindsight. We said it at the time. We came out of those games, and we said, 
why why aren't they running? The the numbers were there. The number of play action passes. But let's just put aside the defenses that they were playing. The Lions, which at the time was the worst defense in the league. The Browns, which was horrendous. Like there were guys were wide open all over the place. And then even in the Bears game, that's when I really was like, what the hell's going on? Because Bailey Zappi comes in and they're running this like long play action. Let's get it blocked up. And, you know, guys are running. I said at the time, and, and I pointed out in film, like what they ran for Mac, which was if people want to really remember and be factual about this, when they were running the offense for Mac, it was all about, it was basically um, like, uh, who's the Tampa coach uh, who was with the Cardinals? Um, Arians, Bruce Arians. It was, let's be aggressive. Let's chuck the ball down the field, 50-50 balls. And it was crap. It wasn't what Mac Jones does well. And then all of a sudden, Bailey Zappi comes in. They're running the ball, running the ball, play action, guys wide open. They're ch- it just it, That's factually incorrect. And I'm sure somebody's telling Bert this, but I will say this. That person doesn't know jack squat about NFL offense, which if they were on the staff last year, we know that to be the fact because that was one of the worst offenses in the league. And so that kind of stuff, like I don't – I don't care what that source is saying. They're just wrong. They're biased. And they're still trying to cover their ass for last year and blaming it all on Mac. And it's a bunch of bull crap. And, you know, Bailey Zappi, look, you want to say he was great in those games. What happened in the Bears game? Yes, he came in with some really nice design plays that made me want to think, did they know Bailey was coming in and they saved those? And I'm I'm not going to back down from that. That was my initial thought. And then all of a sudden, guess what happened in the second? First of all, Zappy gave them a lead. They had a halftime lead against the Bears. What happened? They got their doors blown off, couldn't do jack squat once those game plan plays for Bailey Zappi were gone, and they got embarrassed on their home field against a team that never won the rest of the season. So I'm sorry, that stuff is a bunch of bullcrap. Yeah, and the plays that Zappi made, look, he hit a wide-open receiver. A guy was open. I think it was Jacoby by like 20 yards. He mm-hmm. was uncovered. And Devontae Parker, I think, is the guy. It was either Parker or Aguilar. I think it was Parker who made a tremendous play down the sideline for Zappi as well. So those were the two big plays he made, a guy wide-ass open and a guy who made a terrific individual play on a 50-50 ball. I'm not going to lose my mind over, you know, a couple of drives by Bailey Zappi against Chicago when, as you mentioned, Greg, you know, the, the competition was not at the level before then for him. I would also say, look, I'm just tired of this nonsense. To me, there are certain people in the building that are making Mac Jones to be the scapegoat. We know what the problem was last year. The problem was not Mac Jones. He was not the biggest problem in the building. The biggest problem in the building was Bill Belichick gave the offense to two coaches who were not ready to coach the offense, had no idea how to call plays, had no idea what to do, did not know how to utilize the strengths of Mac Jones. They had receivers at times that couldn't get open. They had a tight end in John Smith who got traded for a seventh-round pick because he was useless. Hunter Henry was misused. Give me a break. The offensive line was inconsistent with penalties and other stuff. They had injuries up front as well. Did Mac Jones play great? No, he didn't play great. Did he play better as the year went on? I thought he played better as the year went on. But the problem was Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, which began with Bill Belichick. It was a fakakta idea. It was a terrible approach. It blew up in their face. Stop making Mac Jones the scapegoat. Stop. Stop. Let this guy play football. 
Let him have weapons around him with a competent offensive line, with a guy that actually knows how to call plays in Bill O'Brien. Then let's judge. Can we stop with the stuff? I see my guy Adam Jones, you know, in the afternoon talking about how Mac Jones has never won a QB competition. That's just patently false. Yeah. We're at the point now. We're at the point now where we're just spreading bullshit about this guy. Like we're making stuff up. Just let him play football. And if he stinks this year with Bill O'Brien and good weapons and a good offensive line, I'll be the first guy along with Greg saying Mac Jones is not the franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. They need to go in a different direction. But this scapegoating by Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, or one of their lackeys, whoever's doing this, it is putrid. It's disgusting. It's repugnant. It's ridiculous. It's irresponsible. Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, Bill Belichick, full stop. That's why your offense wasn't good last year. Enough is enough. Can we move the hell on? We're, 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 we're three weeks away from the draft, less than three weeks away from the draft, and we're still talking about Bailey freaking Zappy. Okay. Oh, I will. That was great. Um, and <laughs> did uh, Adam Jones forget about Bryce Young? I mean, going into that year, everybody thought Bryce Young was going to be the guy. He was going to come in and take the job. And guess what? Mac Jones beat his ass, and he won a national championship. So what are we – and was a Heisman – you know, he was up there for the Heisman. So what are we talking about? This stuff about Mac doesn't like to be coached hard and mm -hmm. Mac isn't competitive and Mac's not working in the facility enough. And all of a sudden, Mac Jones is like public enemy number one in some circles. Mac Jones. Like, if you know anything about this guy, and again, I'm not telling you that he's going to be great. I I've been consistent. I believe Greg has been consistent. We believe his ceiling is somewhere near the top 15 in the NFL, closer to 15 than 10. That's where he is if he plays at his best. He doesn't have unbelievable, quote-unquote, gifts. His processing is his superpower. He's got better athleticism than you think because people thought he couldn't even move. His arm strength is not great but he's got an incredible football IQ. He works his ass off. He is highly competitive. That's what his track record is. That's who he is. Can we stop building these false narratives surrounding Mac Jones? All of a sudden, mm -hmm. he doesn't He doesn't want to compete. He doesn't care about the game. Like, what are we doing here? You, you can agree to disagree about his ability on the field. You can tell me you don't like him as a quarterback, but what you can't tell me is that the guy doesn't work his butt off, that he doesn't care, that he's not competitive, that he didn't beat out Bryce Young, who ended up winning the Heisman freaking trophy and will maybe be the number one pick in, in a little over two weeks here. You can't tell me that stuff because it's BS. Let's keep it straight. And I know the radio tricks. I'm part of the game. I'm part of the game. I understand it. But this this theory, this theory that you got to throw shit up against the wall to get good radio is is nonsense. And you don't have to create things that aren't there to be, you know, a good radio show or compelling. You can find different ways to, com to be compelling. My two cents. Um, talking about Mac Jones, Bert and Mike Giardi, by the way, NFL Network, what are you doing? Giardi is great at what he does. Uh, both those guys reporting that, reporting that Mac was in the building. <gasps> he was in the building and throwing. Can you imagine Mac Jones, Greg, was actually doing work in the offseason? Yeah, and also, you know, putting on top of that, Phil Perry had a report um, that really, you know, echoes a lot of what we've talked about. Um, and, you know, what I believe is closer to the truth that, you know, a lot of players, current and former players um, around the Patriots and people in the building, 
you know, they're sick of this crap. Like, and, and the, like, it's just like, it's the Patriots should be distancing themselves from last year. They should not be talking about it. Like move on to 2023 and, yep. you know, doing all this Jones stuff. Like it's just a, it's just a, it, it's just a disservice to the team, you know, whatever happened to, you know, clean slate and all this stuff. And, you know, last season doesn't matter. Like, I think a lot of people around the team, players on the team are, are sick of the stuff as we are. And they see Mac, Mac's been around, he's been in the building, he's throwing, he's going to be there for the, uh, you know, all the off season stuff, which I think starts April 17th. He's already been there. Like he's doing exactly what he should do. And, you know, credit to Bailey Zappi that he's also there. And this does not surprise me because I think they're, they're two uh, quarterbacks cut from the same cloth. And that's why the Patriots have drafted these guys. And so, you know, I think like, People just need to leave last season alone. It's over. Um, it really would have helped, you know, going back to something we've talked about before, Nick, and people, you know, the Bill people will be like, oh, what do you expect of him? Like if Bill just would have come out, and this is an offshoot of this, if Bill just would have come out and fallen on the sword, which he yep. has done in some respects and certainly his decisions and I think some of the stuff in private, if he just would have come out, just like he said, Dan Shaughnessy, if this doesn't work, blame me. It's my responsibility. If he would have come out and said, look, it was my responsibility. Next season is going to be a clean slate. Everyone would have been able to move on, which would have been good for the team as a whole. But instead, they're still dragging their ass on this stuff because Bill won't admit publicly that he was at fault, which he should have done. And, you know, it's just it's led to a bunch of crap, like you said. And and I just I can't wait till they get on the field, which the, I think the first time we see them is early May. Because then yeah. I do think the page is turned and we can get to on-field stuff. Two more quick things before we get to our friends at FanDuel and then a whole lot more we got to talk about, including draft stuff, which is two weeks from tomorrow. Um, to go hand-in-hand hand with the Bill Belichick stuff, Bill could help Mac by coming out and you know not necessarily praising him, but to give a little bit more public support to his young quarterback. And I know that Bill has a hair across his tuchus apparently because Mac talked to Alabama coaches and whatever the hell else happened. But let's all be adults. Let's all be adults. Let's move on, as Greg is saying, to 2023. The past is the past. You know, show at least a little bit of support and belief that this guy can be your quarterback instead of always, you know, tiptoeing through the tulips when you're asked about it at the owners' meetings and everywhere else. Uh, um, yeah, he can play quarterback. Thanks, Bill, and you can coach. I appreciate it. We know he can play quarterback. He's, you picked him in the first round, so that's not helping. And just it comes down to this with Mac. Again, you, you want to go back and forth about his play cool. Stop the character assassination. Stop the character assassination. He doesn't deserve it. It's ridiculous. And you're grabbing onto low-hanging fruit. Stop the character assassination. Evaluate his play on the field. Cool. Don't tell me the dude doesn't have it in his heart. He's not a hard work and stuff like that. That That's ridiculous. All right. Uh, before we get to uh, some NFL news and notes quick, and then, of course, we've got to get to the draft. FanDuel is the ish. A uh, couple quick news and notes here across the league before we get to the draft stuff. OBJ to the Ravens, Greg. Yeah. Um, way too expensive, uh, even though I, you know, they did tack on uh, voidable years. So the cap pit, I think it's like 4 million the first year, but $15 million guaranteed for a guy who hasn't been healthy in a long time and hasn't been like a dominating number one in, in years, uh, yeah. is way too rich to me. It tells me that 
Lamar Jackson is back, um, at least on the one-year franchise tender. Uh, so, you know, there's no way the Patriots would have done that deal. Not a chance in hell. It's front office malpractice. I tweeted that at Nick C Radio. To give that guy $15 million guaranteed is hilarious. I don't know if anybody was around $10 million guaranteed for him. So the, the Ravens dramatically overpaid the market for OBJ. They're in desperate, you know, in a desperate situation. I think this was as much a, hey, Lamar, we're going to get your guy than anything else. We'll, we'll, we'll give you your guy for this year. Come on back, play on this tag, and let's see if we can work out a deal down the, down the road. I think that's what this is. Uh, I just, I, I don't. As you said, Greg, I, I don't know how you could pay him that much money given the last couple of years. Uh, Jeffrey Okuda, gone from Detroit. He gets traded to Atlanta for a fifth-round pick. Uh, let's remind people that Okuda was the third overall pick by Matt Patricia. Now, some people I saw reacting to this trade said they believe that Okuda still has high-end skill and could be a number-one cornerback. Uh, the Falcons' fifth-round pick seems like a high-reward, low-risk kind of deal. What would you make of it? Yeah, I um, I was very surprised. I mean, uh, you know, I was the biggest Cuda guy in the draft, but there you don't go third overall as a cornerback if you don't have like top end talent. And uh, you know, to me, for a fifth round pick, I mean, and you look at what the Patriots have at cornerback, and we talk about the need for a number one, which you know he obviously as a third overall pick has that potential. Um. You, to me, that the Patriots didn't do this deal, it tells me that Matt Patricia like hated Akuda and didn't think he's a good fit for for the Patriots scheme, his type of scheme, uh, or else I think this is totally a Patriots type deal. I mean, I think the I think if if I read this right, I think the Falcons are only he, his cap number is only five point two million this year, and then I think he's a free agent. Um, I don't know if there's a fifth year option involved in that. There, there very well might be. Um, but yeah, it's a Patriots type deal, and that they didn't do it tells me that Matt Patricia, not a Jeff Okuda fan. Yesterday on Twitter, it was all the story across the NFL. Devin White has requested a trade from the Buccaneers. Uh, Greg, he's making just under $12 million this year. It is a contract year. Of course, you look at Edmonds, you, you look at uh, Smith as other linebackers that got big, big time contracts. Seems like Tampa and white are not necessarily agreeing on the numbers right now. He wants out. Uh, I would love to bring him here. Uh, I would love him as a Patriot. I just can't imagine bill paying what it's going to cost between the picks and uh, you know, the, the money in the long run, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a Brandon cooks kind of deal where you trade for white, you play him this year. And, and then you maybe trade him before the draft next year. Maybe that's what you do. Um, but it, but it certainly seems like there's, you know, there's a little bit of a, an issue between white and the bucks. And, and of course we're always looking at athletic linebackers, Greg. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have been pining for one forever. I think Devin white, when he is, um, when he is right, he's one of the best in the league and can go sideline to sideline. Um, you know, I'm sure Nick, you're the same way that you know we probably watched more than our fair share of Bucks games last year because of the Tom Brady effect. And I got to tell you, I thought I thought Devin White last year was one of those typical guys who won a Super Bowl, sort of you know made his bones during the Super Bowl year, and then kind of took the 
the the the pedal off the gas. I did, in a lot of games, I did not like his film. I questioned his effort at times, and I think it was questioned in general. Um, and I think he had to answer that a few times. Um, but you know, the Patriots paying, I can't see the Patriots, like you said, you know, 11, 12 million dollars basically for this year plus a draft pick. And then you don't, I mean, it would have to be some sort of conditional thing on whether you can sign them to a contract extension. But again, I, I, you know, I just don't see the Patriots doing this. Now I did see something interesting on Twitter before we came on that, you know, a guy who is pretty plugged in with the bills said something along the lines of like, I'd much rather do a Devin white deal than a uh, Deandre Hopkins deal for the bills. And, you know, I tend to agree with them, even though, you know, you put him together with Milano. That's kind of a small, undersized, uh, fast linebackers. Um, certainly built for the modern game, the sort of the anti-Patriots. But, uh, you know, I could see that. I could see him going. I think he would be a good fit in the Bills type of system and with Sean McDermott taking over the play calling there. And what makes it interesting is the Patriots are one of 13 or 14 teams I saw yesterday that have the cap space right now that could bring in Devin White without restructuring anybody. They, they could just do a straight-up deal with the cap space they have. So, you know, they would have the inside track versus a number of other teams. The effort, look, it, it's it's a legitimate point. Talent-wise, the guy is so, so talented. Uh, you wonder, though, contract year, maybe the effort will be a little bit better this season, right? Because he's he's playing for maybe 18, 19 million a year after what Edmonds got. So uh, interesting player. I, I don't think they'll pay what it what it would take to to bring him in, though. All right, let's get to the uh, draft. R- really, we just want to take a look at the, the 14th pick here and, and go through a couple of possibilities. Uh, Pro Football Focus uh, has their draft simulator. Both Greg and I use that uh, to come up with the, with the 14th pick. We'll go through one scenario with Greg. I'll go through some of the names and see who Greg picked. Then I'll do the same thing with me. And then we'll talk about a possible trade that we would like if we want to make a trade um, from that 14th pick. So let's start with Greg's. So Greg's uh, simulation here from Pro Football Focus. Not too much of a surprise. Young Stroud up top. Will Anderson is pretty much the universal pick at three, uh, who is the edge from Alabama. Dude's got a nonstop motor. He is uh, really, really freaking good. He's super talented by all reports, is a fantastic leader. Um, Pretty much no holes in Will Anderson as a prospect. Uh, Fourth to Indianapolis is Anthony Richardson. Interesting guy. I mean, if you go back two months ago, quarterback from Florida, uh, if you go back two months ago, we're talking about maybe end of the first round, maybe second round. And then he goes to the combine and and just absolutely blows it out of the water. And now he's seen as a guy who's going to probably go in the top five. And then we got Jalen Carter, Greg. And and this guy is pretty interesting. I get your Mm -hmm. read on the top five here, but Jalen Carter is very interesting. Um, Obviously, he's a guy who has tons of talent, might be one of the most talented players in the draft. But work ethic is questioned. At his pro day, he had gained nine pounds since the combine. He couldn't make it through the workout. Uh, he, he's not taking any visits outside of the top 10. Uh, he obviously has the off-the-field stuff where, you know, they, they had the the street racing incident where a teammate of his and another person that was involved with the Alabama, Alabama program, uh, you know, one got hurt, one died, uh, or both died. It was a very serious situation. It happened right at the combine. Carter had to leave and then go. He's been a mess 
really since the end of the football season. But Greg, nobody is doubting this dude's talent. You got him going fifth overall to PT Carroll in Seattle. So young Stroud, Anderson Richardson, Carter, top five, just your kind of general thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I think I think Bryce Young is pretty solid at the top. I just yeah, he's undersized and I understand that, but I just think he's way more advanced um than the other quarterback prospects um in this draft and I think that he's done a really I mean look, he's been undersized his whole career and he does a good job of of avoiding hits and he understands the way he needs to play and um I just think he's he's the solid pick up there. Stroud at 2, that's a bit bit of an X factor. Um, I could see the uh, the Texans, um, you know, they'll raffle that off, and uh, but they could take they could take Anderson. I just don't think there's a whole uh, a great number two pick if they pass on a quarterback. And look, if I'm D'Amico Ryan's, and I think I heard Mike Lombardi say this, you know, if you're uh, D'Amico Ryan's, the new head coach at the at the Texans who probably, you know, he's got a six-year contract. He gets to do, oops, sorry, gets to do anything he wants to the organization. You know, do you think about tanking this year and doing that sort of thing and getting, you know, trying to get the number one pick for Caleb Williams next year, who everyone thinks is, you know, sort of the next the guy? Um, I could see that. Will Anderson at three, I think the, the Cardinals go, you know, safe and steady at number three. Number four, the Colts. Richardson's another X factor. I don't think he's worth the fourth overall pick because uh, I think he needs to sit at least a year. But I do think I do think Shane Steichen, the new coach there, um, I think you know, given what he just went through with Jalen Mills um, and designing the offense sort of for him, I think that Richardson makes a lot more sense for the Colts than other teams. And I think Carter, look, we know the Seahawks' history; they have not shied away from character concerns and they think that very highly of the way they're able to uh, bring people into the building and uh, make them better and, and, and more accountable in a team setting. So I just think Carter, I think, I think the Pete Carroll and John Schneider look at Carter and they just see a guy who, you know, if he was clean, he would be the clear number one prospect in this draft. Uh, I, I think they think they could, they could set him straight. All right, then we move to Detroit. Sixth pick, obviously. They just uh, traded Okuda. A lot of people thinking that they might go corner. Uh, PFF in, in this simulation has them going with Witherspoon, cornerback from Illinois, a guy that has been linked with the Patriots from time to time. Looks like he's probably not going to fall to the Patriots to 14, so Witherspoon goes sixth. Uh, Peter Skaronsky, you go back a, a month and a half, two months ago, this was a popular pick for the Patriots at 14. It seems like he's moving up boards. Uh, Skaronsky goes to the Raiders offensive lineman from uh, Northwestern uh, Tyree Wilson, very interesting prospect out of Texas tech edge. Uh, you know, he's a pass rusher did not necessarily have all these statistics that might, you know, knock you over, but he's a really big athletic dude. And, and one of those projection guys, and, and he is just zooming up boards over the last couple of weeks. So uh, at eight, the Falcons go with Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. The Bears go with Christian Gonzalez, another corner from Oregon. And then uh, the Eagles at number 10, Lucas Van Ness, which, you know, uh, he seems like a polarizing player. Some people love Van Ness, other people not so sold on him. Uh, six through 10, Greg, what stands out to you? Yeah, I think, you know, you looked at – for some reason I saw a lot of Detroit last year, and they, they were just horrible at cornerback. And, you know, that now that Akuda's gone, it's almost – like you said, it's it's tailor-made for them to – and I love Witherspoon's tape. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but 
man, that, that guy just gets after it, not afraid to tackle. Like, I love his ball skills, his closing skills. Skaronsky at the Raiders, you know, the Raiders, I don't know how they feel about Levis, who on my mock right now, Will Levis is the only, you know, top quarterback left on the board. And you could yep. easily see them taking Levis um, and having him sit behind Jimmy for like a year or getting ready because we all know that Jimmy's not the most durable guy in the world. But I just look at, you know, from watching them all last year, and they could use a ton of help on defense, so I could see cornerback here. Um, but I think that Skaronsky, whether he's a tackle or a guard, you bring him in, he, he has all pro talent, whether it's at either spot. And um, they're, you know, outside of left tackle, the Raiders are a little bit iffy on the offensive line. It was a problem last year. You just bring them in. You say, all right, well, best five guys. And, you know, Skaronsky, I think, is a good player. Um, I think Falcons, now that they got a CUDA, I think they, they've always, they've need pass rush help for years. So I think Tyree Wilson is the best guy there. Um, Gonzalez, you know, again, you know, the Bears could go in a lot of different directions, but I think he's the next best cornerback and they need help there. We talked about their defense earlier and how it's, how it's horrible. And the Eagles are always with Howie Roseman. You just never know what direction they're going to go in. But I think that they have some guys coming up on contracts on the edge um, that have like Huff and some other people. And so uh, I think that they need to get younger on the edge. And I, I think that I see Van Ness as a guy that the Eagles would like. For Patriots listeners and viewers, you're watching this, you're listening to this. Uh, for those hoping for Jackson Smith and Jigba, you can uh, get rid of those hopes because he goes 11th to the Tennessee Titans. We know all about him, Ohio State wide receiver, fantastic route runner. Uh, then you have Quentin Johnson. So you've got back-to-back uh, -back wide receivers. Johnson's a big kid. TCU gets down the field, um, contested catch kind of guy. Uh, maybe not as as good as his potential. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. when, you, when you watch him play, you feel like you can get more out of him. But, uh, of course, there were some pictures and video of Bill Belichick talking to Quentin Johnston recently. And, uh, there, you know, that could be a thing. Uh, 13th, another guy that's been talked about with the Patriots, a little, a uh, little undersized edge, uh, Nolan Smith from Georgia. He goes 13th to the jets. And then we have the 14th pick overall, Greg. Uh, he goes with Greg Bedard turns the card in Paris Johnson, Jr. Offensive tackle from the Ohio state university. Greg, tell us uh, why you picked Paris Johnson. Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of different directions the Patriots could go here. There's still some good cornerbacks on the board. Um, you know, Zay Jones is on the board. Um, if you wanted oh. to go running back, the kid out of Texas is still there, even though I would never do that in a million years. I don't think Bill would. Um, you know, I just think, to me, this is a layup for the Patriots. I mean, they will if this is the board, they will listen because Levis is still on the board, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm going, Paris Johnson is a guy who can play left tackle is probably a left tackle. And, um, you know, you bring him in and he makes things a lot better. You know, probably Trent Brown is on the way out and you pick up $10 million in cap space. If that's the case, you put Paris Johnson at left tackle, figure out right tackle between Riley reef, Calvin Anderson, Yadi could like Stuber, like all these guys. And to me, I just think that makes the Patriots a lot better going forward where you have the potential franchise left tackle who's big, 6'6", long arms, great athlete. Um, not, not a perfect prospect at all, but uh, I think he makes the Patriots a lot better.
So for my simulation, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, uh, Will Levis went fourth in my draft simulation. Skaronsky went to the Seahawks at five. Uh, Jalen Carter went to Detroit at six. Anthony Richardson is a Las Vegas Raider in this simulation. Tyree Wilson stays at eight with the Falcons. Witherspoon, uh, Witherspoon goes to Chicago at nine. Quentin Johnston is the first receiver off the board at 10 to Philly. That's a good pick. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes to Tennessee at 11. Uh, Kalijah Cansey, a lot of people talking about Aaron Donald comparisons with that young man after his combine. I would uh, pump the brakes on that, but Cansey goes 12th to Houston. Uh, there was a trade there, apparently. Um, obviously, but thanks to that uh, Denver. What is this? What did they do? They did. Uh, I'm trying to see what they did here. Hold on one second. Yeah, they get that from Cleveland. That's right. They got the pick from Cleveland. And then uh, Lucas Van Ness goes 13th to the Jets, which left me with uh, Christian Gonzalez and Paris Johnson. Since you picked Paris Johnson, I'll go Christian Gonzalez, top 10 prospect cornerback out of Oregon. He's a legit CB1, six foot one. A buck ninety-seven ran a four-three-eight forty. Has a forty-one and a half inch vertical. A dynamic athlete can play the outside. Uh, I went with uh, Christian Gonzalez at number fourteen. Greg, if you had to make a deal, what are the possibilities here? So, in this scenario, with you know the fourteenth overall pick, the way I have it laid out, you know the quarterback Will Levis is still on the board, and so you know I think that opens you it opens things up to a bunch of different teams. Um, I think, you know, the Raiders might be talking to the Patriots about that. Um, you know, but in my mind, I think the clear team who's sort of waiting in the weeds and, you know, needs help immediately to me is the Buccaneers. Um, Jason yeah. Light, the GM we know has used to work in New England, has a good relationship with Bill. Um, I think that the that Tampa comes up uh, from 19 um, and takes Will Levis at 14. So the Patriots go down to 19, and in that circumstance, I think Darnell Wright, the offensive tackle from Tennessee, who is plug-and-play at right tackle, um, has a chance maybe to play left tackle, um, but I think he's I think he's an outstanding prospect. Just look at his film. He shut down Will Anderson uh, in their matchup, and um, Belichick, I could tell you, loves – he loves watching ones-on-ones. He loves watching individual matchups. And when he flips on the film and he sees Darnell Wright from Tennessee shutting down Will Anderson from Alabama, that's the kind of thing that will uh, tickle him in his uh, soft places. And uh, I can see him really liking Darnell Wright. Uh, I'll give you another option here. Seattle. Seattle has two first-round picks. Uh, thanks to that Russell Wilson trade, they obviously have the fifth pick overall. And then they have number 20. Uh, if they don't go quarterback at five, if Levis is still on the board, not a crazy thought that they can move up from 20 to 14 to draft Levis. And uh, just throw a name. We A lot of people have talked about him, but somewhere in that 20 range, Zay Flowers makes a little bit more sense to me than 10 to 15. I think he's going to probably be late teens, early to mid 20s, maybe in that range, six or seven picks there. So that could be an option too. Uh, you know, you, you move down to 20, you make that deal with Seattle. Seattle moves up, they draft their quarterback. I know the Geno Smith contract, look, that's a one-year deal. They're not married to Geno. Uh, they move up to 14, they draft Levis, you draft Flowers at 20, and you pick up a third-round pick. Uh, that's another possibility. All right, quickly, let's get to the uh, BSJ member question of the day. Greg, what do you got? 
Yeah, so um, just to go off this, uh, almost off of Twitter, so there was a report um, earlier in the day, I figured we address it here, um, and I'd retweeted it. It was um, via, so it was from Houston Sports Talk Radio, um, and somebody was basically um, summarizing what John McClain, who long time, of course, we know Texans beat writer, the general, he said, I had someone tell me at the NFL Combine that Casario is going to return to New England after the draft. McLean followed with he doesn't believe it and that the McNairs are happy with him. Um, so just to address that here, um, this t- t- type of talk is not uh, surprising because, look, like we talked about earlier, D'Amico Ryans was brought in as uh, the new head coach. Um, he gets to he I'm sure he gets to do whatever he wants, um, you know, and that incur- includes a personnel guy. I'm sure he has. Um, his thoughts, but usually personnel stuff. Um, it would like it was very rare that Pat Stewart landed, went from the Panthers to the Patriots before the draft because you know these guys have been working on these prospects for multiple years, including this year going to games and evaluating these guys. So even if you make a move and you go in a different direction, you normally keep that intelligence in house until the draft's over, and then they can leave. So that you know Casario is there through the draft is not surprising him coming back to new England would not be surprising, but you know, based on John McClain's comments about how he doesn't believe it and he, and the McNairs are happy with him to me, this smells like, you know, Casario who has a, I think a, a pretty long contract with the Texans, uh, probably another like three years left on his deal or at least a couple that he moves, they move him up to say, you know, vice president of football operations or something like that. D'Amico Ryans gets his hand-picked director of player personnel or general manager. And, you know, Casario, we'll see how long he likes that job where he's sort of out of the mix. But that's typically what happens. Do I think Nick comes could come back here? Yeah, he would be in the same sort of scenario as a lot of guys who have time left on their contracts. I don't think that he would be plugged in and played, you know, as far as like, you know, over macro, you know, they have right now they have macro Elliot Wolf and Pat Stewart in the building as sort of their triumvirate. I don't know where Casario falls just as more of like a consultant, but I don't think he, I would be highly surprised if Nick Casario comes back here and suddenly he's general manager or vice president of player personnel. This episode of the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast, Nick Cattles, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Sign up now at FanDuel.com slash Boston. Claim your $200 bonus. He's Greg. I'm Nick. Anything big happens, we'll be all over it. Uh, Of course, we'll be back next week. Maybe do some more draft stuff, see what else is being said. Probably more Mac Jones crap. Uh, Until then, be safe, be well, be good, and uh, enjoy your weekend, everybody. (laughs) 